As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Paul, this is a this is a wellness check. Are you being held hostage right now? I am being held against my will on this episode <laughs> of Allocation Disorder. <laughs> Forced um, to always co-host with you. Yeah, well, um, sorry about that. Uh, thankfully, hostages love company, and you're not the only American in the soccer world. <laughs> That is being held against his will. That was a quote that Paul did not have that was attributed to him regarding, of course, Christian Pulisic. We are going to start there in his situation at Chelsea, where it looks like he will be remaining through the end of the transfer window, which as we sit recording on Thursday morning, September 1st, is set to end in, I think, eight hours. So maybe something dramatic will happen between now and when you're listening to this. I hope not for the purposes of this show. Uh, but we're going to talk about that. Serginho Dest, also on the move to AC Milan. Uh, USMNT strikers are scoring? This is a brave new world we're entering into. And then MLS is going crazy. There's a lot of stuff happening around the league. A huge night of games on Wednesday night with a lot of movement. LAFC, three losses in a row. Philadelphia Union keep beating teams into submission. They are plus 31 goal difference in their last 11 matches, which is astounding. For a team in this league um, and a lot of other things happening around the league as well but paul let's start with pulisic you reported on this on monday i think earlier this week um that he was not going to go anywhere on loan obviously he was linked to manchester united we talked about that on a previous episode linked to some other teams ac milan i think was one of them in italy maybe some other clubs in italy atletico madrid newcastle united etc etc so for those who are not up to speed Lay it out for him. What's happening? Why is it happening? What's the reaction? Well, obviously, Christian Pulisic, like a more than a few players on Chelsea, isn't happy with his playing time under Thomas Tuchel. And, and that Chelsea team is essentially being revamped. Um, a lot of players coming in, attacking players have come in. Obviously, Raheem Sterling um, being added to Chelsea's team, you know, directly impacted Christian Pulisic going into the season. But the fact that Christian didn't start a game and through the first five games of the year for Chelsea – 
I think exacerbated the problem for him. He he felt like he needed to play and he wanted to play. And and I think also it's pretty clear that Thomas Tuchel doesn't rate him. And and so Christian Pulisic was looking for a solution that would allow him to play more consistently, both for the short-term benefit, which is to prepare for the World Cup in November, but also the long-term benefit. I mean, at, at the end of the day, Christian Pulisic is coming out of contract in two years, which means next year is a really, really big year. This year essentially sets up the contract negotiations whether it's with Chelsea or with with his next club for next year. And so getting a chance to go to another club and play consistently, get in form, enjoy his soccer again, uh, becomes important. And I, I think that is where, you know, this all started. Now, the problem is that despite the fact that he's clearly not considered a starter by by Thomas Tuchel and, and um, you know, hasn't really been able to prove that he, that he should be, I guess, in Tuchel's eyes, um, Chelsea isn't willing to let him go. You know, they they made sure that um, essentially that that it was known that he wasn't allowed to negotiate to, to try to find a way out, whether that was via loan or sale. And and thus it, it stopped him exiting in this window. And he wasn't happy about it. We saw him walk directly off the field after coming on and playing as a right wing back uh, earlier this week. And, you know, I think that's just indicative of the frustration he feels, you know, that again, he's coming off the bench. Again, he's coming off the bench to play a position that's not his typical position. And yet he's not able to look for a solution where he'd be able to go and play consistently um, and where Chelsea would probably be compensated in some way. Um, now, realistically, we, we should know it's not going to be it wouldn't be easy for Christian Pulisic to find another place to play. He makes a lot of money, you know, somewhere around seven and a half to eight million euros um, per year. Net. Uh, net. There aren't a lot of teams that can pay that. So, you know, that's why the names of teams you're seeing are, are typically clubs associated with, with being able to spend a lot of money. Newcastle, obviously, with their new Saudi ownership, uh, Manchester United, Atletico Madrid, uh, AC Milan even, he would be by far the highest paid player um, on that roster. So it, it's not an easy solution, but certainly I think we can you know, we can come to the conclusion that Christian Pulisic is not happy. He's not happy with his situation. He was hoping to find a place to play out away from Chelsea, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And and so now the question is, you know, can he find playing time at Chelsea? Can he find a balance to get fit ahead of the World Cup? Not fit, but to get in form ahead of the mm. World Cup. It doesn't seem like it. You know, Greg Berhalter, he spoke with reporters in New York City yesterday at, at a press event there. And one of the things he was asked about, of course, Christian Pulisic, and he sort of gave the the stock answer, which is, you know, Christian has had to deal with this his entire career, where a coach comes in, doesn't really believe in him. He's not really playing the role he wants. Then he gets an opportunity and he grabs the job and he fights and he does well. And, and Berhalter was like, I expect him to do that again. Um, it's a little bit different this time. I think that's a little bit of an oversimplification just because it's not like it's a new manager. Like Tuchel's been around at Chelsea for a while. Tuchel has had Pulisic even before Chelsea when they were together at Dortmund. I think he views him in a very defined way. And unless there are exits or injuries that force Pul Tuchel to play Pulisic, like force him, leave him no other options, then I don't think he's going to be a starting attacking player with any regularity for this team. He will start some games, I assume, you know, they have basically two matches a week every single week between now and November. There's going to be a lot of fixture congestion and players that are going to need to be rested. I would assume that Pulisic will get some run out. Uh, obviously, though, it's not an ideal situation. 
And for me, Paul, you know, being an American who covers the U.S. national team for part of my paycheck, um, immediately I think about what does this mean for the USMNT in Qatar? And I have some thoughts, um, but I think the starting point here is that over-qualifying, Pulisic was up and down and in and out because of injuries or because of Tuchel's decisions with Chelsea. And he came to the U.S. and, and sometimes it was good <laughs> and sometimes it wasn't, but it didn't seem to, like there was a ton of correlation between his club form and his national team form. Do you agree with that stance? Are, are you overly concerned about what this will do for the USMNT going forward? Yeah, no, I'm not because I, I do think they found a way to make it work um, for Christian Pulisic with the USMNT, no matter what his state of mind was, let alone his form at the, at the club. You know, they, you're right. He had, he had an up and down season for multiple reasons, right? He came in in September. He didn't play because he was recovering from COVID and then he got some minutes in one of the games and then he went and started in Honduras and then he got injured and, and that held him out of the games in October. And then he came back in November while he was gaining fitness and he came off the bench and scored against Mexico. So I think Greg Berhalter did a pretty good job of finding the right moments and the ways to kind of get the best out of Christian Pulisic. He brought him off the bench against Honduras when he wasn't in the best form um, for club or country in that window in January. And then, you know, started he started in March. And in the most important game, Christian Pulisic stepped up and had a hat trick. And that's the thing that also stands in the back of my mind. I mean, Sam, we talked about this during qualifying when we were writing about Christian Pulisic. You know, I wanted to do a piece simply about the fact that Christian is a big game player. He tends to stand out in the biggest moments. And we've we've even seen that with Chelsea. Like you look at like the FA Cup semifinal, the Champions League semifinal against Real Madrid, where he started for Chelsea and scored. And then he got benched in the second leg, despite that performance. But, you know, when you look back at his career, when he comes onto the big stages, he plays well. And I, I'm kind of holding that in the back of my mind, thinking about the World Cup. Like, I think no matter what's going on with Chelsea, I think that when Christian shows up to the World Cup, his first World Cup that he's been waiting for for a long time after failing to get there in 2018, like, I think Christian Pulisic is going to elevate his game. That's just, I, I expect to see the best of Christian Pulisic on the World Cup stage, no matter what's going on with with Chelsea. And maybe mm-hmm. that's just being a little bit naive. Maybe that's just basing it on like my observational bias of, of what I've seen, what I think I've seen from him in big games. But mm-hmm. I just feel like he has that personality. And, and so I don't think it's going to have as big of an impact as it might for other players. I would agree with that. Um, I think, like you said, he's navigated the, these waters before. He kind of knows how to deal with it and go into the national team when he's not playing a super big role for Chelsea. I mean, I'm looking at his, at his profile uh, on transfer market right now between the end of the, the January slash February window and the start of the March window of qualifying Pulisic played three premier league matches for Chelsea. That's it. He started two, um, but in the, in the weeks leading up to that window, he had, he played 12 minutes in the league for Chelsea in one game. And then he came and he did what he did against Panama and, and essentially got the U.S. to the World Cup on his own in that match anyway. Uh, so I'm not too concerned. In fact, Paul, in a weird way, this is obviously not an ideal situation for his career, but I think in the short term, I think a, a pissed-off Christian Pulisic at the World Cup, I think there are worse things that the USMNT could ask for. He's got a point to prove. Every player at a World Cup has a point to prove. But he's going to want to go there and show his worth and show his American owner, by the way, (laughs) that like, hey, you're messing this up and I'm going to be the biggest star in U.S. soccer history 
and I'm going to prove it in Qatar. And how could that not add fuel to the fire? I know that fire is is already raging for all of these guys. This is, you know, what they've worked for their entire lives. But maybe it's raging just a little bit harder now for Pulisic. And, and maybe that's a little bit of extra... Motivation is not the right word, but, you know, a, a little little extra gas for, I, for, what's, for what's to come. I mean, Sam, you noted this already, but I mean, yeah. The other thing is that we have to just keep reminding ourselves is like Chelsea's schedule is going to... There's a lot of games. I mean, they start Champions League group stage, you know, next week or this this coming week. Or no, next week, right? I'm, I'm looking at my calendar. Yeah, that is next What week. day it is. It's next week, next Tuesday. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have Champions League. You have FA Cup. You have Leagues Cup. Um, plus league the Cup. League. league. Uh, the, the plural, league Cup. Plural, plural is here. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's MLS right. and League MLS. How, uh, the most The more famous of the two. Um, yes, world famous Leagues Cup care about so so that's the thing is like he is going to get minutes he is probably going to get some starts and and so that contributes to it's not like he's going to be buried on the bench in the sense of like getting zero minutes ahead of the world cup i don't think i think that the the opportunities will be there minutes now yeah and as you noted you know there were points. I mean, both he and Tyler Adams came into camps where they were playing, you know, they had played like 12 minutes or 28 minutes of the previous, you know, 270 that their clubs played and 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 yet, you know, performed well. So I'm not overly concerned about it. And also, like, that is a, a position where there is a lot of depth, a lot of ability to rotate for Greg Berhalter. You know, there are playmakers behind Christian Pulisic. Um, who can spell Christian Pulisic, who can start games and allow Christian Pulisic to come off the bench if that's what's needed. We've seen that work. We saw it work against Mexico. We saw it work against Honduras. Um, there are options here. And I, by the way, I do want to say, I think Christian Pulisic will start the World Cup. But there are options. And and so I think you that think kind of really calms things down. There. It would be yeah, a lot thing- worse if we go to, to what our next topic is eventually. Like, it will be a lot worse if Christian was like the only number nine, Right. Like that would be, <laughs> I, I, then you then you freak out a little bit. But you know he's a winger, he's a star winger. But there's also Tim Weah, Brendan Aronson, Gio Reyna, Malik Tillman, Jordan Morris, Paul Ariola. There are options there that that I that I trust to perform too. If if it was worst case scenario and Christian wasn't playing at all and wasn't performing when he came in in November, like there are other players I think could that could step up. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. The other thing to think about here, and this isn't so relevant. I don't think before the world's cap, but longer term is Chelsea under their previous ownership cycled through managers really fast, like super volatile. That might change under Todd Bowley. Who knows? But Tuchel has been there since January, 2021. I think they have seven points in their first five premier league matches. It's not like they're off to a flying start this season might be a situation where he's not long for that club necessarily. And maybe the, uh, if there is a new guy that comes in, maybe that maybe that new guy changes things up in terms of how they play and how he sees Pulisic. And, you know, a lot can change in these sorts of situations really quickly. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up happening again, not before Qatar, but, but afterwards, maybe later in the season. So that's something to keep an eye on as well, in my opinion. Paul, Serginho Dest. Reports, including one from The Athletic, I believe, uh, have him going on loan from Barcelona to AC Milan. Um, I think we haven't really talked about this move, actually. 
but we were talking about Dust the other day, and I think both of us um, were kind of of the opinion that he's not going to go anywhere because he likes living in Barcelona too much, and he he's a different kind of guy, and he operates a little differently, and he was fine just gonna just just staying. Obviously, it, it looks like we were wrong with that expectation. <laughs> um, what what do you make of this move? AC Milan, of course have a pretty solid right back of their own, um, but he's out for a couple months with injury. So, Yeah, I mean, I think it is a good move. I, I Look, he needs to be playing, and it looked like they were, you know, Barcelona was, was I, yeah, I I, um, I underestimated their ability to play chicken even with Serginio Dest. You know, that it looked like he was not going to find minutes anywhere. Um, and so now he goes to an AC Milan team that, that, you know, does like to play with attacking fullbacks typically. And is going to give him a chance to, to get minutes. Now, I know we, you know, they they have a right back who's injured. They have another right back. I'm trying to pull up um, the depth chart here, but they have another right back who's been captain, um, who's been playing at the right back position. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of role he plays immediately. But I think going and getting minutes at AC Milan is better yeah, I than. Don't, I, I don't think it's it's a thing where he's going to walk into the eleven. Damn. Right. You know, right. and but but I think he has a chance to play, which I think is more than he had at Barcelona at this moment in time. <laughs> um, so I think that's a positive in a way. It is a year-long loan, according to reports, and Barcelona, you know, can bring him back. But given how things have gone for him there, I think that would be a little bit of a surprise at this point. So it'll be interesting. I think Syria could be good for him in terms of you know drilling down his focus a little bit more. He has a tendency to get lost sometimes out there and freelance a little bit. Um, but he has all the talent in the world to be a really, really top player. Um, so if he can kind of get in that mode before Qatar, I think that'll be good good things for the U.S. Yeah. And it's Calabria. It's the name of the of the starting right back there. Um, Thank you. kind of provides some defensive balance at AC Milan. And that, that'll be the interesting decision. But they're, they're not bringing him in on loan from Barcelona to, to not play him and not use him in 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 games and but that's an interesting position for the u.s if serginio is not playing and not in form that's like a little different than with christian Pulisic. after after serginio you're going to reggie cannon deandre yedlin joe scally what are you doing you you think you think reggie cannon or deandre yedlin's gonna start over serginio dust if he's not playing all the time i'm just saying that like if he was in really bad form it's not like you you that's what you've got like that's what you've got you know what i mean like this, like if if Christian can't start or isn't playing well, the the options behind him don't scare me as much. You know, I'm I not trying to knock those guys, but like I like think really bad form. Like what does that mean? Like I don't even think that matters. I think we've seen that. I think we I think we've seen what Sergio's desk really bad form looks like, and and it's not great. It's <laughs> yeah, not but great. we've seen him really good too. You know, yeah, no, and, for and sure. That's, but that's what I'm saying is like you want yeah. like this is a good like this. The hope of this move is that it keeps Serginho playing okay. and so ready what, for the world. What, Cup. When you say we've seen Serginho with his really bad form with the U.S., what are you thinking of? I, I think I know what you're thinking of, but what are you thinking of? Uh, September qualifying uh, mm-hmm. first couple games, I think, was right. probably where he just looked disinterested against El Salvador. He looked right. disinterested and. He wasn't great against Canada, and then he got injured, right? And that, and then mm-hmm. the first time um, he was better. He was better, and he was going up against Davies. Like it wasn't like he was going up against yeah. some script. I know, but for again, me, when I, Serginho Dest struggles, it's a it's a mental. That's right. It's that's because right. he's freelancing. It's because he's disinterested. It's because he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing on the field. It's not a question of his ability or his form or his talent. It's is he locked in? Is he plugged in? And at a World Cup, 
I think he's going to be locked in and plugged in. Well, that's the thing. I, I do think I do agree with you that that Serginio is at his best when he feels challenged, when he when he wants, you know, when he when he wants to prove something. And I think that's the that's the benefit yeah. of the World Cup is everyone's going to feel that way. Yeah, um, I don't Berhalter think you're going to lose it. anyone mentally. He said it at that media event on Wednesday. Every player has a point to prove. What player goes to a World Cup without a point to prove? For sure. None of them. Um, speaking of points to prove, Paul, USMNT strikers, they're scoring, they're flying, they're having a good time. It's a much, much different world that we're living in. We're going to talk about that in the next segment. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Sam Stasekel and Paul Tenorio here. As always, Paul, we talked a lot about the USMNT, Christian Pulisic, Transfer Market, Serginio Dest, off to AC Milan. But what about the actual players that are fighting for spots on this team? How are they performing right now? Specifically, how are the number nines looking? I'll answer my own question. Better than they've looked, I don't know. In years? Is that fair? Years? I think overall as a pool, as, yeah. As a group, I think, that's like, yeah. I think for yeah. a long time, a long, long, yeah. long time. So, so, so right now, there are six strikers who are playing really well. Um, in Europe, Jordan Pifak, off to a fantastic start with Union Berlin. Two goals and two assists in his first four Bundesliga games. Haji Wright, on a tear in Turkey. Five goals and assists in his first four games over there of the season. And Josh Sargent, a blast from the past in some ways, uh, getting getting some run at striker with Norwich. And he's he's been really good. Four goals in his last four games over there in the championship. And then in MLS, Brandon Vasquez of FC Cincinnati, five, five in his last five. Jesus Ferreira, who, of course, we've seen quite a bit of with the national team here over the last... I guess in 2022, uh, three goals in his last six. And Jeremy Abobasi, who I think, you know, long shot, it's fair to say. <laughs> um, but three goals in his last six with an assist as well. And, and continuing a really solid season for him with the San Jose Earthquakes. So, Paul, I wrote an article about this that published on The Athletic earlier this week. These guys offer different things. Um, but this is this is a really, I think... I think there's probably some difficult decisions that Greg Berhalter is going to have to make here if this continues. Um, I think he'll have to make some difficult decisions for the September camp that's coming up rapidly, regardless of whether or not this continues, considering how these guys have been playing over the last month. But this is an excellent problem to have. So how are you viewing, as I knock over my microphone here, how are you viewing this striker pool compared to how you viewed it three, four, five, six, twelve 12 months ago? Well, I think a lot differently than I viewed it then. I mean, it's it's crazy that you just ran through a list of strikers and we don't even mention Ricardo Pepe, which during qualifying, he absolutely would have been on the list, but the guy hasn't scored. Um, and he in, just moved in, as well. 
a really long time. Yeah, he could yeah. factor in in November if he if he goes to Holland and and lights it up. But right now he's out of the picture completely, which is crazy. I think yeah. you know I, I, I take I, I I feel better obviously about this position than I have in a long time, partly because. The guys that I like uh, that you just mentioned, they all bring different skill sets to the table. Speaking which is of what the you guys about. that you like, you're the, I think you're like a brigadier general in the sergeant army, right? I am. I've been a sergeant <laughs> supporter. A sar- <laughs> the sergeant supporters led by, you know, Paul Tenorio, for sure. I mean, look, I am I'm, I'm I I look at Jesus Ferreira and what what he does best, his ability to combine and create, to drop in, get on the ball, turn, find the wingers making the runs in behind. His his um, well-timed runs into the box. He's he's finishing better in MLS. I still think I'd like to see him score in September when he's playing yeah. um, to, to have a little bit more faith in what he can do at the World Cup stage. And but so I, he can I, have I, a little bit more faith in himself. Sure. I, and yeah. so that the team can, right? So that the team, yeah. the, the, his teammates can have some faith in him. Um, Josh Sargent, feels, as you said. Ferreira feels pretty safe to me for Qatar. Oh, yeah. As long I think as, Ferreira, as long as, as, long as he, he continues, continues here... Decently in MLS. Yeah, I think Jesus Ferrer will be on on the roster. Josh Sargent is a guy I I predicted would be the player who made a run in this first half of the season at the club level and make the roster uh, when we did our our World Cup prediction 1.0. And you know, I did that because I I know that his skill set is a really good one. One and two that Greg Berhalter likes it. I mean, he was in the team in September. Um, he got played out of position in Honduras as a winger, which is what he had been doing at the club level. Did, and didn't do much of anything in El Salvador. He, he didn't do, yeah. And and but I I the reason he was there is because he does certain things really well. He's actually very good at checking in and and getting on the ball and laying passes off, making those types of runs that can pull center backs. He's also very good in the air. He's got good strength. He he's. Um, he's shown some ability in the box to, to get himself free and, and make space for himself. But he hadn't been playing as a striker. And that made it very difficult to select him for the rest of qualifying because you'd essentially be guessing at what his form would look like if you threw him in as a number nine during qualifying when he was playing as essentially a defensive winger last year in the Premier League. So for to see him getting... Team. For a really bad team. And 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 so now to see him getting run, regular run, as a number nine, playing centrally, it puts him right, to me, right at the top of the list of guys who has a chance to make the World Cup roster, especially if he keeps scoring goals. Now, he's got probably, I think, the toughest path. You know, Puki is on that roster still, and he's going to be constant competition for Josh Sargent to get minutes at that center forward position. Sargent only started playing center forward because Puki got a minor injury. Puki right. is now back. Sargent started scoring every single game, so he wasn't right. losing his spot in the lineup. But last game, he did not score. So right. maybe we see a change. Who knows? Right. And that's that's how it's going to be for him for the next few months. Mm-hmm. Like he's got to basically score every game because that's what Puki did in the championship 2 years yeah. ago. He scored pretty much every game. So, you know, that that that'll be the tough part for Josh Sargent. And then I look at Jordan Pifok, who's a guy that I am I have been low on. Um, and I, his form with the national team just hasn't done it for me when I've seen him in person, his ability to move off the ball, um, you know, even in pressing, which as you noted, he does a lot in the Bundesliga. I wasn't really impressed. Obviously he had the big miss chance in, in, at the Azteca against Mexico. Um, but you, you know, he's scoring early in the Bundesliga. He's playing well. He's, he's assisting. Really well. 
He's playing for, for well. a team that's doing really well. Right. And so, you know, I think he has to be there. Now that means it leaves off Brandon Vasquez, who right now is the sweetheart of, you know, pretty much all of the MLS fans and media because he's been playing so well for FC Cincinnati. But I I saw Greg Berhalter's comments about the difficulty of bringing players in who haven't been involved in this team. I think Brandon Vasquez probably gets called in September. I don't mm-hmm. know who you leave off to do that. Maybe you leave Jordan P. Falk off. I don't know. Maybe you lo- you leave his. I, I don't know who you leave off to bring him. But I just I. It's harder to project what he can give you when he hasn't been around. And you don't know what what's going to happen when he comes to the international level. In the same way, you didn't like we've seen Jesus Ferrer now. You know, we we've seen Ricardo Pepe when he was with FC Dallas. Like I I think Brandon Vasquez is a really interesting forward prospect. I think he's an, he's somebody I would I would like to see. But I I was surprised not to see him in the summer for this reason. I think you just needed yeah. to see him with the team. And and so right now, like I think if you if you gave me the two profiles of the strikers and what they can do, you know, maybe I would take Vasquez over PFOC before the Bundesliga season started. But the way PFOC is playing right now, I I think it makes it really hard. And this is, this is what's different, right? Like for Greg Berhalter, you know, pre European season starting, you're like, yeah, Brandon Vasquez is going to be in because he's scoring goals in the U S striker pool. They don't have anyone scoring goals. Like that's not the issue right now. The issue is everyone scoring goals. Now things could change again over the next two weeks or month or two months. And, right, and, and I want to note, knows. Sam, you when you wrote this piece, you watched all these guys. You were watching a lot of film. Is there yeah. someone that stood out to you as like playing really well that you think has to be there in September, and, or and maybe somebody who their numbers are are outperforming kind of what you've seen on the field of them? Yeah, I think Vasquez is the guy that's playing really well and that needs to be there. Like he is. A big guy. I think he's six four, about two hundred pounds, one ninety five, something like that. He's got. He moves pretty well. Um, he's actually been the target of more passes than any other striker in MLS this season. Despite that, he's not super efficient when he receives the ball. Um, Jeremy Abobasi is actually like better in terms of percentages at, at keeping it and holding it up and laying it off. Vasquez can do some nice things in that area. Really nice things, in fact. But where he excels is his movement in the box. Um, he's excellent at it. Like, just go watch any of his goals. Like, it feels like all of them. It's not true, but it feels like most of them are. He makes a hard run across the face of a defender and wins a ball in the box and buries a first-time finish. Or a guy gets to the end line and there's a lot of defenders in the 18. And he makes a really smart, intelligent run to lose his man and get on the end of a ball. And then when he gets on the end of those, apart from a, a really bad miss that he had over the weekend, um, but when he gets on the end of those, he's he's been really efficient with his finishing. You know, he's outperforming his expected goals by a pretty wide margin. He's not doing as well as Ferreira in that regard. I think probably because Ferreira has, has put in some bangers from outside the box for Dallas this season. Um, but that skill set, I think, I think that translates, Paul. And of course, it's going to be harder to do that against Wales or England than it would be against Inter-Miami. I'm not trying to sit here and claim otherwise, right? They're playing Premier League center backs, some of the top center backs in the world, even. Um, It's going to be harder to lose them with that kind of movement. But he's got the physical profile, 
And I think he's got the brain and he's got the confidence He's and the finishing ability. And I think he deserves a run out. Um, to your point, well, at whose expense? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think it would be at Ferreira's expense because they're totally different profiles of players, right? I don't think they're really even competing for the same spot. Um, and that brings you to Sargent and to PFOC. And Sargent and Vasquez, to me, are relatively similar in terms of what they're trying to do on the field. Vasquez is a little bit bigger. Maybe Sargent is a little bit more mobile, perhaps, in terms of where he's popping up on the field. Um, so there's, there's, I'm not saying that they're the same. There's, so, there are subtle differences. But, but in terms of those three, I think they're the most similar. And I don't know. I don't think you can really leave Sargent off at this point. And, and you referenced the, the Burhalter quote, but, you know, he was asked point blank, like, Vasquez hasn't been with the group. Like, does that make it more difficult? for him to get into the team. And Burhalter was like, yeah, it does. And, and he's like, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, if you have four guys who have been in and, and have been scoring, and then you have a fifth, like that hasn't been in that fifth is going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage. And, and that fifth in this case is Vasquez. But the other thing he said is that we're looking for forwards that fit what we're trying, how we're trying to play the best, what our opponents give, what their strengths are, who matches up the best. It might not be the best forward that's chosen, but the one that's the best fit for everything that we're trying to do and that everything that we think our opponents are going to give us. So that's the lens that we have to look at this through. And that's true really of every position, but I think especially for forwards. Um, to me, if I'm Greg Berhalter, I'm calling Ferreira, Sargent, and Vasquez in September. And, and he sort of hinted at this too where he's like, you know, in September, it might be a case where we where we give some guys a look who we haven't really seen much before at the expense of guys who we have, and we know what they bring, and we know what they offer. And that, in this case, could mean Vasquez over PFOC. So I think that's what I would do, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't happen that way. Yeah, and I think that's the thing to, to try to remember and take hold of is like, because people will freak out because there there are the, the USMNT fans who, no matter what, will look at it and say, Brandon Vasquez plays in MLS. Jordan Pifak is scoring in the Bundesliga. How how dare you call an MLS player over Jordan a Bundesliga Pifak striker? a billion goals last year. And and how did he play for the US? Right. It, the club form's never been the issue with him. Right. But, but, but my point being that you have to understand that this World Cup is different than any other World Cup. This is it. This is his last chance to take a look at somebody that he hasn't seen before, before he makes the decision ahead of November. He has seen Jordan Peefock at multiple camps. You know, he has seen Josh Sargent at multiple camps. He has seen Jesus Ferreira at multiple camps. He's never seen Brandon Vasquez. So for that reason, yeah, I do think Brandon Vasquez has to be there in September. But I, but when you look at the other the other guys on this list, like what we just mentioned, like I think you need Jesus Ferreira there. I think you need to play him to try to get him some goals mm -hmm. on this stage against World Cup opponents. That's important. Um, you know, and Josh Sargent. I think you need to see Josh Sargent when he's playing the number nine consistently at the and club level. And, and right in a year, it's been a year. But, now. but this is the it would be also the first time you've had him since the Gold Cup. You know. Back in the day, and he didn't even play in the Gold Cup in 2019 under Burhalter, right? That that was like a big controversy that he got left off that list for Jossie Zardes. That's right. You know, so the last time I don't know that Greg Burhalter's ever had Joss Sargent when he's playing consistently and scoring goals as a number nine. So 
it's it's just it's just so funny that we're talking about this like in this way that there's this dilemma <laughs> over it who to call. It feels like only a month or two like, ago, where it's like yeah. anyone who's scoring, come on down for sure. And 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 so I mean, look, this is great. This is what happens when a World Cup's on the line. We haven't even mentioned Haji Wright, yeah. like, and and partly because I was so unimpressed by what I saw of him, and he's playing in Turkey and and scoring a lot of goals. I I'm not watching him. I know you watched some film on him. Um, I just, I, I just, I think he's the odd man out. I mean, Bobisi also, like, I, I don't even, I think it's nice that you included him in the article, but like, I don't even think he's in the picture. Um, <laughs> that was sort of how I felt doing the article, which is mean to say, but, <laughs> but like, it's the truth. It's just like, and no, he even I said mean, it like he, he he's not in the picture. Be, he deserves to be in this story because of, of his numbers and how he's played for the quakes. But like there would need to be multiple injuries in order for him to have a hope. Yeah, and and Abobasi is said as much, basically. By the way, yeah, there'd have to be a run of injuries. You know, Josie Altador would have to not score any goals in Mexico. Like, I like I think if you have like a run of injuries, it's a totally different discussion of what the pool. And look, what happens now? We're we're going through all this. Stuff. What if what happens if Pepe goes to Holland and and scores ten goals in the next couple? Of I mean, good problem, good problem, man. Yeah, I want to do. I do want to stay with Haji Red for a second. So like they sort of play two strikers he's the target there's another guy underneath him they don't really ask him to do much of anything in possession he's not really involved in build up or anything like that and a lot of his goals have come off of moments where the second striker is kind of underneath drawing a center back and Haji kind of drifts off the back shoulder of the guy marking him and opens up space for himself and then gets the ball in in decent areas and finishes and that was true last year as well with what he was able to do. And I'm certainly not trying to take away from any of that, but that to me feels a lot less replicable for the U S at a world cup. That's just not really how they play. Um, you know, a lot of the attack is coming down the wings or coming straight up the gut. There's not really that underneath guy who's playing in the hole. And, and so I don't know, given what we saw from him in, in June, he didn't really play that much. The game he did start in El Salvador, Berhalter came out pretty hard and was like, wasn't good enough publicly in a way that was notable. So I think he's got an uphill battle, personally. I think he's behind PFOC for that spot. And I sort of see them as competing, and I see Vasquez and Sargent as competing. And then it's kind of a question of styles and skill sets and how much overlap Berhalter does or does not want. Yeah, I mean, if I were to predict today, based on form, today, who would be the three if the World Cup was Wednesday of next week, I would say Ferreira, Pifok, and Sargent are the three strikers that, that are on the plane. I wouldn't argue too much with that. I, I mean, I think it's, yeah. I mean, I think I would bring Vasquez over Pifok, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be kicking and screaming if you brought Pifok. Yeah, over. I mean, I... I, I agree with that. Like again, like I've 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 I'm I've not been high on PFOC before, so it's it's interesting to me that. Um, but you got to credit the guy for for doing what he's been doing. He's been playing really well in the Bundesliga, and mm-hmm. you know I think he his skill set is is very unique, and and I think could add something you know late in games at the World Cup level. Yeah, um, I mean we we saw it in Nations League in the semifinals. Um, big game for him and Union Berlin this weekend against Bayern Munich. So that'll be one to keep an eye on, I believe, on Saturday morning. Paul, there's been a ton happening in Major League Soccer. This podcast has been very U.S. national team focused thus far, but we are not going to neglect MLS any further. Last segment, we will go deep dive into the league and some of the notable teams killing it or getting killed 
on the other side of the coin in the final segment. Stay with us. Allocation Disorder. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Paul Tenorio, we have a supporter shield race. This is not something I expected to say even a week ago. I thought it was done. I thought LAFC was going to cruise to it. Maybe somebody could push them a little, but there's more than a little push right now. LAFC... Lost to Houston on Wednesday night in a big night around MLS. Philadelphia continued rampaging through the Eastern Conference, beating Atlanta 4-1 to at home. And those two teams are now tied on 57 points. LAFC do have a game in hand on the Union. Um, so, you know, that's something to keep in mind. But it's three losses in a row for LAFC, whereas the Union have won nine of their last 11, dating back to that 7-0 beatdown that they put on DC United and their goal difference, as I mentioned in at the top of the show is 39 to eight in those 11 matches. I think they have three, six goal victories, six or seven goal victories in that span. What they're doing right now is, is frankly kind of incredible. Um, so we'll spend a little bit of time talking about them, but what do you make of the fact that, Hey, like we actually have a shield race now. Uh, this is not something that I think anyone around the league expected. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, like, and I, we talked about this privately. I don't remember if we talked about it on the podcast or not, but, like, there is a risk when you have a team that's playing really, really well, that's flying, that's doing good things, and then you still continue to change the roster. You add new what's, faces in, what's you the take old saying, faces Paul? out. If it ain't broke. It ain't, yeah, if it ain't broke, you know? And, and LAFC decided that what they were doing wasn't good enough. They wanted to make sure that they won an MLS Cup. And so they've continued to tinker, not tinker, to, to they kind of rebuilt this roster in some ways in the summer window. And, you know, call it the Brian Rodriguez effect. They've lost, what, three in a row now? Um, and obviously, it's, not the, Rodriguez. It's, it's obviously not the Brian Rodriguez effect. <laughs> But it is it is notable that you know that this is what happens when you when you make a lot of big changes in a roster and you add a lot of big personalities to the locker room that there's an there's a period of adjustment. Now I'm I think that they'll probably have enough time between now and the end of the season and into the playoffs to fully integrate everybody. But it might cost them the supporter shield. You know, yeah. it might cost them the supporter shield. Because they are figuring things out and adjusting and changing their rotations and, you know, all of those things that they've got to figure out on the fly. And the Philadelphia Union don't have to do any of that. They yeah, are just, just flying. flying. Yeah. 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 
So, um, and it looks like Kai Wagner is sticking around, so they're not going to lose him. Probably the best left back in the league. Um, so, so that's a boost for them for the rest of the season. And Paul, I sort of wrote about this when LAFC was after they signed Denis Buanga of, you know, this might be too many cooks. Like it's an ultimate first world, world problem. And if they can figure it out, it's going to be great, but it's going to be hard to figure this out. And we're seeing that live right now. They lost two to one at the Houston Dynamo last night. They got a little bit unlucky to be frank. And attack wasn't they, their expected goals total was like 2.73. Like they had a lot of good looks. They missed a couple great chances. Gareth Bale sort of, you know, took one off the foot of Chicho Arango. That could have been a tap in. Um, Steve Clark made some huge saves for the Dynamo. So I don't want to overreact, right? And, and signal versus noise and all of that. This easily could have been a win or at least a draw for LAFC. And it could have easily been two, three goals. No problem. And, and we're singing a very different tune this morning. But it is something to keep an eye on for sure. And I think it sort of goes to show you a little bit about what their priorities are as a club Yeah, in a few That's different ways. Um, one is like they are committed to selling players. They haven't done an awesome job of it over the course of their history. They have and they haven't, right? Like they've they've moved out to Westa. That was great. It looks like Cifuentes is going to be a huge success story for them. Brian Rodriguez was not. You know, I think I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but if you believe the numbers that have been reported out there, they lost money on that transaction. They bought him for more than they sold him for, I believe. Um, Diego Rossi was was a big success story, but it's not like they've come and, and had a Miguel Almiron level success. Now, that's unfair, right? That's unfair. <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, I think that's what they're trying to do. That's what they're trying to hit. Right, that's the level they want to be at. Every club so, in the world is trying to hit that. Of course, of course. But you know, I think it's fair to say Rodriguez was a bit of a disappointment for them. Um, well, I think and, I think it's also worth noting that they that the COVID timing hurt everyone. It could not. I think when it when it comes to business, it hurt everyone in the world. Yeah, but for LAFC, like everything was timed to sell at the end of that season, and like the yeah. market got just completely ripped apart and changed. And prices yeah, dropped and maybe it, it ruined everything. Yeah. It no, did. It so ruined their done, whole plan. They've done they've done a good job. I don't mean to say they haven't done a good job. They haven't hit like a home run yet on that. And and that's that's fine. Singles and doubles will get you there, right? But part of their model is selling, and that means losing guys in the middle of seasons. Now, when you look at who they've added, Christian Teo, Denny Buanga, Chiellini, Bale, veteran guys, all of them, right? They sign these guys for the playoffs. They want to win MLS Cup. They care way more about that than winning another supporter shield. I think if, if you went to them and said, hey, that's the trade you're making, you're going to lose the shield, but you're winning MLS Cup, they don't think twice. They take it 10 times out of 10 and twice on Sundays to you know mix metaphors and cliches. Um, but that's what their priority is, and we'll see. And then if they do that, then the next priority is Champions League. And I think, again, these signings are well-equipped to go to a tournament like that and do well. So maybe you sacrifice a little bit of regular season success for, for tournament success. And I think that's, that's what I'm talking about when I say priorities, yeah. but and, and again, we'll see, they have, point. they have their home against RSL this weekend. The three losses they've had have all been road games. You know, there was that four, one beat down that they suffered at Austin when they were poor and Austin exploited that. Um, but they get back home. So we'll see if they can get right over the weekend. Yeah. And, and to your point again, you know, as I mentioned, they're working through this stuff on the fly. 
Like there are going to be some things that don't click perfectly, but they have mm-hmm. time to get there. You know, they, they do have not a ton of time, but they have some they have some time left to get those things moving the way they want. And it doesn't seem like they're always that far off. Right. It's not like yeah. this is like, oh, everything's not working anymore. No, I think they'll get there. Yeah. It's just it's just going to be a process during this and at a time when all of a sudden the union are flying. And maybe considering how well they've done since Ernst Tanner came in, we should call them the Philadelphia Union uh, wow. to, to embrace MLS's love Good of one. the European style names. Thank you. I thought you'd like that. Well, Sam. well done. Yeah. You know, um, the number of bad well, jokes we've exchanged. I mean, why don't we just call them Union Philadelphia? Union Philadelphia. Let's yeah. let's, let's do it. Let's just switch it up. Let's not. I don't like this at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not into it. Sam, I do want to ask you though. This this what kind of stood out Ooh, to me is I like, love when what, you ask me questions. What what is different? Like what is different about what Ernst Tanner was able to do coming in, yeah. not knowing MLS to build a roster that is that has been successful over now multiple years. Um, and and is is really kind of pushing our ideas about what you know what you need to have sustainable success in MLS. I, I would say that's tempered by the fact that their academy has been incredibly helpful, and that that always opens up that's space one, for you. That's one part of what's different. But, but what do you think? What do you think has has helped Ernst Tanner be so so good they, at they his job? Basically, every signing. Like I don't know why or how that is. I do think that there is a thought a school of thought within Philadelphia that like they inevitably that will end. It's an inexact (laughs) science, (laughs) you know, but, but for now that they've been crushing it. Like Jose Martinez, Kai Wagner, Casper, Casper Shabilko, and then moving on from him, um, Daniel Gazdag, 17 goals this year, Julian Carranza getting him for, you know, for a pittance at buying him at a low and giving him the time and space and, and coaching that he needed to kind of develop. And he's been really good for them. Mikel Ua. I, I probably butchered that, but you know, I gave it a good college try. He's been solid for them this season. Um, shoot, man. Glesness has been great. Jack Elliott, a fourth round pick out of West Virginia, has been fantastic. So Leon you see Flock, just kind of go another up signing. And, yeah. So so you just kind of go up and down the roster. Ernst Rant Tanner clearly has leaned on his network back in Germany for some of these signings. Flock, Shabilko. Wagner, Prali Ua, um, Gazdag, etc. Um, I think they've they've hit. I mean, they hit a home run with Martinez in terms of the price. He's still like the best value in the league. He doesn't make any money comparatively. Um, he's like barely average level salary in MLS. I don't even know if he is. Um, so that's been huge. And then then the academy. It's it's everything at once, Paul. And I don't know. I don't know what kind of infrastructure or systems they have in place in terms of how they make a signing, but I'm trying to do a story on them and maybe I can go in and find out. So there's been a lot that's different there. Um, but in terms of building on a budget, no one's done it better and it hasn't really even been close. The Rapids made some noise in that way last year, but we see what's happened to them this season. And Philly has done it while selling players too, by the way, best 11 players in Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie. So they've been excellent. Um, you have any thoughts on Philly? I know you wanted to talk I, about the team I, that they smashed last night, Atlanta. I, I do want to. I do want to say real quick about the union. I, I pulled up this headline just because it's funny now to look back on it. But it was summer of 2019. You gave on up on union already. Yeah. Really poor commitment to the bit. Yeah, I well, I you know. Um, <laughs> summer of 2019. Sorry. The headline on MLSsoccer.com is 
Why Ernst Tanner extended Jim Curtin's Philadelphia Union contract now? And, you know, let's... <laughs> so FC Cincinnati couldn't hire him. <laughs> no, I just think that there was, um, you know, he Jim Curtin, when he when Ernst Tanner first came in, he, he gave him a one-year deal. Uh, Ernst Tanner gave Jim Curtin another one-year deal, and there were questions about whether or not to stick with Jim Curtin at the time. And those are questions that for like eight years about whether or not. Yeah, there were questions of that under, I I think there's some credit obviously to Ernie Stewart as well, because he, he was the one that was really um, having to kind of like ignore that noise from the fan base about whether or not, you know, Jim Curtin was the guy to, to stick with. But I think, you know, it's worth noting that, you know, Ernst Tanner came in and stuck with Jim Curtin immediately and then gave him that by giving him his first long-term extension, like that it, afforded, Jim Curtin deserved that extension way before he got it. I'm not going to hundred percent, but but I, but I, but I've seen so many people come in and and decide that that they're going to find they're going to bring their own guy in. That happens all the time. It happens all the time. Yeah. And instead, he said, "No, we're going to give you a long term commitment so that we can really truly sell in the locker room to you that this is who we are. This is how we're going to play. This is how we're going to build." And you know, I know that it's not easy to play young players and, and to develop young players on the go the way that the union have done. That takes buy-in in the locker room. Like all these little things add up together to create a culture that works. And that culture is now working. So I, I just wanted to know, in, in addition to all the, the player signings, to, to, to stick with the coach when you come in as the new sporting director to then give along the first long-term contract that he that he had deserved for a long time to give it to him. I, I think all of that just helped build the culture. And I think Jim Curtin, yeah. you know, we were giving a lot of it, a, a lot of praise there during Sander. I just also wanted to circle back around and say that Jim Curtin has done an incredible job as well. Awesome I think, job. yeah, somebody like Carranza and what he's done this year, I think it's indicative of Jim Curtin's ability to develop players as well and, and to get the best out of them. Um, but yes, Last night's result for the Union, 4-1 over Atlanta United. <sighs> Sam, that stood out to me because the Atlanta United, you know, I, I've said before, I think that this is a team, you know, I, I said it on a on a Twitter spaces with Felipe Cardenas, that needs to get stripped down and rebuilt. And Darren Eels is gone. And I wonder, when you see results like, like Atlanta has, you know, they're sitting 21st in the Supporter Shield standings. They are sitting 11th in the Eastern Conference right now. Only three points out of the playoffs. So still very well, much it's MLS, baby. You know, yeah. MLS, baby. Um, how, how much are you looking to blow that up right now? How much change do you think is necessary in Atlanta? Or do you think they're not that far off, you know, one or two signings and they're, they're the Atlanta United of old? Well, there's a lot of off ramps between those two scenarios. That I just <laughs> That's and true. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't think their roster is that bad, Paul. I really don't. I mean, I, I picked this team to win the supporter shield before the season started. <laughs> yeah, that's bias. You're biased saying the roster's not that bad. Well, it's not though. And and they've they've had real issues with injuries this year. Yes. Like it's it's not the the all of the reason for their problems, but Miles Robinson, Brad Guzan, um Joseph Martinez is still not himself and who knows if he ever will be again off of the injuries that he's had. Um, but they've dealt with a lot 
man. And and I'm not saying that they have been good. They have not. They have underperformed. But Tiago Amato, for instance, has been pretty solid this year, right? Araujo, when he's been playing, is a very talented player who can change games for them. Like, if you put Miles Robinson back in this team, I think they're above the playoff line. Their midfield has been disappointing for me. Um, they're center midfielders. Uh, but again, Emerson Hinman, been out injured, right? Like, they're dealing with a lot of issues. And so I don't think this roster is that far away. I think it's a playoff roster, certainly. Um, and I don't know. I don't think you need to go in and blow it up in terms of the players on the field. I think maybe some rethinking in terms of how you're training when you're getting all of these injuries and you have a pretty young roster, that might be in order. Um, and of course, you're going to make some tweaks. Uh, I'm curious to see how they handle the Joseph Martinez situation. Uh, I think he has another year on his contract, I want to say. But he's occupying a DP spot, and he's not even starting for this team right now. Uh, that's not what you want. Um, so that's going to be something that they have to deal with. And But the main thing with Atlanta is who's going to take over for Darren Eels, and what does that mean for everybody else? You know, yeah. if it's somebody like is it is it somebody that comes from the business world and doesn't know anything about soccer and their mandate is entirely commercial and it's Bocanegra and Demetrios F F Stop God, I can't even do it. Former MLS executive Demetrios, help me. No help you. I'm the one that said his last name last F-stuff time. F you. F stuff you. That's yeah, what I'm right. going with. Um I did that off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> if it's them building soccer along with Gonzalo Pineda or, you know, do they hire somebody with, with a background in the game or a background in the league? Do they go and try and get a Garth Lagerway? And, you know, does he blow up the technical department? I don't know. So that's the big question for me with Atlanta and that's going to dictate what their off season looks like and what their future looks like. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I think, players, I think that's, I don't think the question. players are that bad and I don't think the roster is that bad. So I don't think they need to go out and destroy this entire team to be good again. So if you're saying that, do you believe that, I guess, I guess for me, the president decision is also kind of a, a decision that, that revolves around Carlos Bocanegra, right? Because if you think Carlos Bocanegra has done a good job and that this roster is good and it's not a roster problem, then yeah, maybe you do look to the business side and you give Carlos Bocanegra another extension and you say, hey, you're our CSO, we think this is a good roster and let's get, move forward. Didn't he just get an extension? I don't think yeah, he a couple years ago. I think he's got one more year left after this year. I thought he had two. Anyway, doesn't matter. You know, maybe um, he has two years left. I mean, I don't know. Like, is that is that the way forward for Atlanta United? Look, the soccer side is fine, you know, and we we're missing the playoffs this year, but it's not indicative of of a of a bigger problem. Um, with, I didn't with say it's strategy. not indicative of a bigger problem with their strategy. I just said the <laughs> roster isn't that bad. Okay, I think they need to decide what kind of club they want to be. Do they want to continue on in the model that they've had, which is go down to South America and spend a ton of money on players who are younger and, for the most part, haven't delivered relative to what they've cost? Or do you want to try and and build it a different way, whether that's more through academy players? They're probably not going to go that route. Or more through looking to other parts of the world to try and build out. Um, or maybe spending, spreading the money a little bit more, a little bit differently across the roster, or trying to get a little bit more veteran. This is an extremely young team. I think people forget that. Um, and I think that's part of the problems they've had this year. So yeah. I think they just need to, this is a time for them to reset and, and decide whether or not they want to continue on in the direction they've gone, or maybe pivot a little bit.
So we'll see what they do. What is that? So so I'm looking at underneath the playoff standings. What's interesting to me is when I go through these rosters, I think to myself, like, it's so it's so funny under the playoff line how different the attitude would be for each of these teams when they miss the playoffs. Like how much work mm-hmm. they have to do no, when you look at fair, DC or Chicago or Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. Or or Atlanta. It's a different conversation than Toronto. It's a different conversation than Colorado. You know, context matters, but, Paul. But one one team under the playoff line that I think is an interesting one, and we don't usually see them under the playoff line, is the Seattle Sounders. They're in trouble, man. I was on this show a few weeks ago. I was like, the Sounders are going to make it. Don't worry about it. The Galaxy, no chance. I look like kind of an asshole now. Um, <laughs> the Sounders, my goodness, lost 3-2 to two at Orlando last night. Up to nothing in that game. Gave up a goal in stoppage time to lose. Uh, Stephen Fry saved a penalty in the first half of that match to, to kind of keep them in the lead. Um, but what are, what are they now? I'm pulling up the standings. I mean, it's, it looks bleak for them. They're six now. points. They're, they're six points back sitting in 10th place. Now they have a game in hand on Portland. So the galaxy or an eighth have a game in hand on them. Yep. Um, it's, it's going to be a really, really difficult climb. I, I like, and, and losing on Friday at Portland in a difficult match and then going, making the farthest road trip they can make basically, except for Miami to Orlando and losing the way they lost last night. I mean, that's an emotional death blow. Now, if anyone can respond from that, from a mentality standpoint, it's the champion Sounders, right? But oh, given the points, given the amount of time left, they basically got to like win I don't know what their schedule is coming up, but they got to kind of like win out. They they do have Houston at home on the weekend. That's a pretty good get right game. But Houston coming off the biggest game of their year, biggest win of their year, beating LAFC. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because once once you drop under that playoff line, you start asking different questions. Like, all right, Rui Diaz is thirty two. You know, like mm-hmm. what what is Ladero. what is the the attitude? Ladero, how old is Ladero now? He's thirty three. Older than the movie DS, yeah. You know, so what is the what is the long term? What is the medium term plan? You've got they're gonna have, World Cup. They, they're gonna have some issues, and not necessarily this off season, but I, le- I believe Ladero's out of contract next off season. What do you do with him? Are you gonna have a Diego Valeri style mess on your hands if he's gonna want to be a DP and maybe you don't want to make him a DP? I would imagine Christian Roldan and Jordan Morris are going to look for DP contracts at some point. Um, Albert Rusnak is guaranteed through next year as a designated player. Rui Diaz ain't getting any younger. They sort of, they don't really have the successors lined up for a lot of those guys. And the one thing the Sanders have been amazing at throughout their history is signing DPs. So maybe we should have some faith in them to continue to be able to do that at a high level. But they have, I mean, this team in 2024 is going to look a lot different than it does right now. And next year might not be easy either, just considering where they're headed, what the trajectory is. And I mean, yeah, I mean, what's interesting, Jao Paolo, missing him has been such a brutal blow for them. I mean, Sam, I'll throw this to you when you talk about that, right? When you start looking two years down the down the line or or two two offseason windows down the line and you start seeing these these tough decisions coming. And you have somebody like a Christian Roldan on your roster who is high value within the league, very mm-hmm. highly regarded by every GM in the league. We know that from our, our anonymous survey. 27 yeah. years old, 
plays so many different positions to you has become such are a, you saying, a favorite. Are you saying trade Christian Robin? I'm saying that those are the discussions that probably have to happen, right? When you talk no. about having to rebuild a squad, like, are you talking about giving Christian, if Christian Roldan wants a DP deal and you mm-hmm. are moving on from Rui Diaz and Ladero and you're the Seattle Sounders, are you giving your, those DP slots to Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan? Or are you trying to replace those guys with, with DPs from outside? I mean, those, but like that's how MLS works. You only have three I'm doing DP slots. Everything I can to take advantage of the fact that both of those guys are sort of, in the case of Roldan and literally in the case of Morris, Seattle lifers and getting them to get hometown discounts. Like, and, and I think with Roldan, it's more realistic maybe than with Morris in terms of. Position. I think it's the opposite. Well, I think Morris is more likely to take a below market deal. But I think Morris is going to think his value is higher based on what positions they play and the numbers they put up and the comps around the league. Now, look, right? both of those guys got big deals earlier than most people in the league thought they should have gotten those big deals. So it's not so Seattle's yeah. treated them well. And maybe there will be a little bit of that at the table, too. Like, hey, you know, we've been we've been hooking you guys up for a long time. We I mean, clearly I have had faith in you. Go get their money. They have a limited time to do so. But, I'm just um, saying it's an interesting conundrum. If you don't think you can convi- convince Christian Roldan to take a non-DP deal, it just opens up. It's, to your point, I'm do- you talk if I'm about- the Sounders, I'm doing everything I can to keep that guy. Everything including a DP deal? If you're, losing, if you're losing Ladero, if you're losing Rui Diaz, if they're aging out, he's the heart and soul of your club. He's the captain, in my opinion, once those guys move on. Not the hometown kid, Jordan Morris. He's the one that sets the tone. He's the one that makes everything else kind of work. Um, he's been out, and you see how they've fallen in recent weeks. Yeah, so, so it, it's just interesting. I would it's, prioritize it's, him over Morris, man. Personally. Well, you talk. Well, you talk about like that decision making process of uh, how do you replace those two DPs? Well, you might be replacing one of them with Christian Roldan in in, in the DP spot on the roster. Yeah. So it, it's just it, again, these are the interesting conversations that Garth Lagerway is probably having with his soccer team right now. Because they're not just planning for next year and the little things. They they know that those contracts are coming up as well. They understand those yeah. decisions. It's uh, But it is a really interesting dynamic when we talk about salary cap leagues, when we talk about only 3DP slots. Those types of yeah. players, this the is, Christian Roldan's, the Jordan Morris's, these are decisions that are no-brainers to re-sign them. And you know, to sign them to a $2 million a year contract would be nothing, except for the fact that if you sign them to a $2 million a year contract, they take a DP spot. And it's the same yep. issue that Atlanta United is going to come across with Miles Robinson. They'd be happy to pay Miles Robinson two and a half million dollars a year, but it would take up a DP slot in Atlanta, and they don't have DP slots, right? So these are the types of decisions that happen in MLS that that change the dynamics for clubs for for years to come. And and I think you're right in that Seattle has some very interesting decisions to make in the coming year when it comes to contract negotiations. With Ladero, with Rui Diaz, with Rodan, and with Jordan Morris, that are going to change how this team looks for for a good amount of time. Two words, Paul: floor, ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think it's happening before those contract decisions are ne- are needed, though. Just like so, the one point six or one point seven, whatever it is, in any given year, the DP threshold so arbitrary and so silly. But um, that's the world that MLS operates in. Uh, any other teams? I-, I wanted to talk about Portland. Two huge wins for them in a row uh, to get back above the playoff line, um, beating the rival Sounders at home over the weekend, and then going down to Austin after Austin 
you know, stole the hearts of the league, you know, golden child, LAFC, with a 4-1 win. They go down to Austin and get a 2-1 win midweek. Um, you know, a couple of center backs scoring goals for the Timbers. I think they had 29% possession. Austin hit the post two or three times. Um, but the Timbers steal one, get out of there with all three, and now put themselves in good position. Eric Williamson was very good in that game for the Timbers. He's been very good when he's been healthy for them for quite some time now. I'm curious if he's done enough to get onto that roster. Um, there are a lot of guys pushing it for September. George Mihailovich, Malik Tillman in that position. I think it's going to be hard. Um, but, man, one that I think about and that injury that he had with the ACL, just kind of a shame because I, I yeah. wonder what he could have done and, and how big a part of the national team he may have been had he not suffered that injury. Yeah, tough, tough, tough position to break into. It just is on the depth chart. Um, but hey, Christian Roldan injured. Who knows? Yeah, I mean he's been a winger. He's been he's a winger for Seattle and played centrally really for the U.S. So well, hasn't really played a ton, but um, sort of. You know, that's that's Seattle's. another interesting one for Greg Berhalter with 26 people on the roster. Roldan really, really well regarded within the locker room, from what I hear with the U.S. M&T. You know, yeah. it goes to that idea of everybody loves how Christian do you, Roldan. How do you use that nice 26 guy. spot, right? Do you use it for the glue guys that that are, you know, that bring something in training every day that add to the group that really well liked, or do you bring you know, the, the odds that that 26 guy are going to play or play an important, consistent role are low. I think, I think it's clear. You bring mixed discrude. Yeah. <laughs> he was a number 10 for the U.S. at a World Cup. Don't forget that. Um, on that note, you got anything else? No, that's it. Let's end it on mixed mix discrude as the number else? 10 in Brazil. I've seen My a lot goodness. of mixed discrude jerseys around the U.S. Those, 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 people didn't, oh, hi, people didn't throw out those jerseys. They, they, kept, they held on to those jerseys. I mean, that's a collector's item at this point. For sure. That, that, that establishes real street cred and, and real, I don't know, something else not as good as street cred. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this has been Allocation Disorder. I am Sam. He is Paul. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week with another show. Another USMNT MLS spectacular. Until then, um, enjoy, enjoy your weekend. You know, have fun. Say hello to somebody. Give someone a hug. I don't know what I'm doing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>